Today I want to take a couple minutes and I want to share a few thoughts with you about Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. I want to begin with a big point, all right? We're going to have two big ideas today. And this, this message is for everyone, whether you feel called to ministry full-time or you feel called to ministry in your home. The first thing you need to understand is simply this. I want you to write it down, and that is that God calls. God calls people into ministry. In fact, did you know that you are called? Peter says it this way. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Some of you identified with that one a little more than the others. A peculiar people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that you can show forth the glory and praises of God. You and I have been called. Point number one is simply this, God calls. I want to read to you what Paul said about that. Paul the apostle, who was known as Saul, God called him out. Many of you have heard the story. He was a man who was on the wrong journey in life. He thought he was going the right way. And you know, the Bible tells us that man thinks his steps are right, but the end thereof leads to death. Many are the plans of a man. And so many times we think we're on the right track. Paul was a God who studied, he was a man who studied the laws of God. He, he was equipped and trained in religion. And yet he was on the wrong path. He was trying to kill Christians. He was imprisoning them. He was having them beaten. He was having them executed for their faith in Christ. He thought he was doing the right thing. And how many times in life do we think we're doing the right thing, but maybe we're on the wrong path? And so God called Saul. And here's what he did. On his way to Damascus, God shows up with this amazing light from heaven, the sound of thunder. And in that sound of thunder was the voice of Jesus. And he knocks Paul to the ground. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus the one that you're persecuting. And he basically calls Paul out of the, the current direction and path of life into a new path. And this is where we read, if you have your Bibles, your phones, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. We're going to come back to Galatians in a little bit. But I want you to hear Paul's words about that conversion experience. He says, but even before I was born, you know what's awesome? is that before Saul was even, or Paul was even on his journey on the wrong path, God already had a plan for him. Aren't you glad that God has a plan for us? He says, I know the thoughts I have towards you are thoughts of a hope and a future. God has a plan for you. He says, before I was even born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son Jesus to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. God radically changed Paul's direction from killing Christians to making Christians. There are people in this room that at one point in your life, you were skeptical. You spoke against religion. You spoke against Christ. And now here you are worshiping Christ, believing in Christ, trusting in. Anybody trust in Jesus in this room? There are two words that Paul uses here. He says, God chose me and he called me. And these two words really help us understand the calling of God. The first kind of sub point I want to give you is simply this, is that God chooses. God chooses. God chose Paul. 
Do you know the Bible says that Jesus spoke to his disciples, and here's one thing he said. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Maybe you think you chose Christ when you raised your hand, but what you need to know is that he had already chosen you. He already had a plan for you. And in order for us to understand the call of God, we need to understand in the Greek the meaning of this word chosen and called. The word chosen in the Greek, the idea is simply this, is that God sets us apart. He literally picks us up and sets us apart, much like the word holy. The word holy was a very similar word, to be set apart for use by God. So when we've been chosen, God says, I didn't just save you to leave you where you are, but I've set you apart. And then the second word he used is call. The word call in the Greek is the word kaleo, which is a, uh, akin to the root word keleo. And the word kaleo has two meanings. The first meaning of the call of God, it means to hail. By hailing, you are drawing something at a distance closer to you. If you're in New York City and you get off the, you know, out of the terminal and you've flown in and you leave baggage claim and you go out to the curb, what are you going to do? You're going to hail a cab, right? By hailing or by calling, you are taking something that's at a distance and bringing it close. Do you realize that God is hailing you? That he has called you to bring you close to him. The second meaning of the word kaleo, it also means not only to hail, to draw close, but it means this. It means to appoint or to command or to direct. So the calling of God, when God has called us, he didn't just call you to find Christ, be forgiven of your sins, so one day when you died, you would go to heaven. But what God was doing was he was drawing you from a distance to him. He was calling you. He was hailing Anthony. He was hailing you, bringing you close to him so that not only you could be forgiven, so that he could command or redirect your path. Salvation isn't just about forgiveness. It's about redirection. It's about going forth into the world. So many of us are kind of like lizards. I didn't see that one coming, Pastor Jerry. That caught me off guard. Let me, let me tell you a story. I, I have had a, a, this year kind of struggled physically a little bit, and, and one of the issues I've had is with my knee haven't been able to do the things I normally do. I can't run um, because the, the, the impact on my knee is, is causing more and more damage. So the doctor basically said, I had two different diagnoses. They said, um, you can't run, you can't jump, you can't climb, you can't... How many hate the word can't? I hate that word. You know, I'm, I'm, you just sometimes just feel like going... Pff. Remember when you were a kid and you did that? That's the way I felt. Well, along came some people that gave me an idea, and they said, well, you know, Pastor Jared, you can run. It's called aqua jogging. And so they gave me a little belt thing that you can go into the pool, and you put it around you, and you're under the water floating. It's literally a floaty. You're wearing a floaty, okay? And then you run. And so I, every day now, run around my pool. If you look at me, you see my head, and I'm literally... I'm running. 
So I'm making laps in the deep end of the pool. And the other day as I'm making a lap in the deep end of the pool, I kind of come around this corner, and there, kind of about four or five feet away from the edge, is a lizard, a baby lizard. Now, my first instinct is when I was a kid, you know, and you found an animal, sometimes you had fun and did things. You know, I mean, what I'm talking about. Have I here ever had one of those magnifying glasses? Anybody remember those? Okay. Don't look at me that way. Don't worry, I didn't hurt the lizard. I, I, I was looking at the lizard, and I was thinking, ooh, there's a lizard in the pool. And this lizard was in trouble because what had happened is the lizard, it was hot. How have you been hot? It's just been crazy hot, right? Well, the lizard was hot. He saw a big, huge pool, and he's thinking, hey, let's, you know, have some fun. Let's get wet. He goes into the pool, but what he didn't realize is that all around the pool, above the water, is tile, which means once he got in, he couldn't get out. Because his little, whatever they are, I called them paws last week, your last service, and everybody laughed at me. His little, what do they call it? Anybody know what? Those things <laughs> couldn't grip the side of the pool to get out. So basically, he had been swimming for I don't know how many hours. He was about to drown. I mean, it was at the point where I would look at him, and he'd be like... <laughs> And he kind of lay there, and it'd be like, like that. So I started feeling bad for this lizard. But I didn't want to pick it up. <laughs> I'm a wimp. I don't know. I was on my jog. So what had happened is the lizard trying to get out of the pool had kind of swam out and was wandering in the deep part of the pool and was not going to make it. So I decided I was going to save the lizard. And you know what I did? I just started going like this. <laughs> Didn't take much effort. I started creating waves. And as I did, those waves began to carry this lizard who'd kind of wandered out into the deep end of the pool, who was about to drown, just kind of started moving it in the right direction. And it ended up, as I just kept creating waves, this lizard ended up in the one spot in our whole pool where the tile was a little bit broken and the, the cement was torn off a little bit. And the next thing I know, there is the lizard like this. <laughs> it had gripped the side of the pool, and as I kept running and watching him as I was going around the pool, I could tell he was tired, and he was just hanging there, catching his breath, and then the next thing, he, boop, 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 boop. Pastor Jared saved a lizard. I felt good about myself, helping the wild kingdom. Some of you are like, what does that story have to do with anything? I began to think about how so many of us are like that lizard. Our intentions were good. We think we're doing the right thing. That's what Saul thought. And the next thing we know, we're out in the middle of nowhere, we're wandering, we're struggling just to keep our head above water. There's no direction, no purpose, and aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us to wander in this world, but he jumps in the pool and he starts giving us waves of mercy to move us towards the direction so that we can walk in the calling that he has for us. 
God will direct your steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God will get in the pool. He will send his mercy, and he will move you in the direction you need to go. But the question is, will you swim against it? Will you give up? Or will you go forth? Because God calls, and he's chosen you. He's hailed you to come close to him to direct your steps. You know, the other thing that God calls, he doesn't just God's chosen us, but the second thing, just a little sub-point here, is that God approves us. I love what the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. This is Paul, once again, speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he kind of gives us a mindset of where he was And I think it's a beautiful picture for you and I because a lot of us, we may intellectually understand that God has called us, but we've disqualified ourselves. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone... Everyone, if you fall in the category of everyone, say amen. Amen. Everyone should accept it. This saying, this statement, everyone needs to accept. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could even use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. The point being is that Saul, Paul throughout his life could have quit. He could have given up because he didn't feel qualified I'm the worst of all sinners. And how many of us are still in the middle of the pool swimming around with no direction because we've disqualified ourselves from God ever using us? Pastor, you don't know how many mistakes that I've made. Pastor, you don't know the things I'm going through right now. You don't know the decisions that I've made. God, God could never use me, but here's the good news. Your ability to be used is not based on your qualifications. It's based on the approval of who is appointed and called you. Because God approves you, God can use you. You need to write that down. Because God approves you, God can use you. Remember when David came before Saul? And not Saul, before uh, Samuel? And everybody in the room thought, well, God can't use David. Look how small, look how ruddy, look how little he is. And then God says to Samuel, he's the one. He says, because God, or the world, looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I've chosen, I've called him. And let me tell you something. When the enemy jumps on your shoulder and says, ah, God can't use you. Ah, you know, God's not called you. You're not called to go forth. You've got too many problems. You've got too many, ba- you've got too much baggage that you're carrying. You're too dysfunctional. If God approves you, God can. If God approves you, God can. If God approves me, God can. Come on, you need to hear yourself say it. If God approves me, God can. God can use me. God calls. And the reason he chose the Apostle Paul 
was so that everyone that's in this room, everyone that's watching in Palm Springs or Taft or India or Amsterdam, wherever you are, Kentucky, when the enemy tries to tell you he can't use you, God can't use you, you can say, if God can use Saul, the chiefest of sinners, that's my example, that's my story, that if God approves you, God can use you. God calls, that's point number one. Point number two, y'all still awake, say amen. If you're sleeping, have a good nap. We'll wake you up at the end of the service. Not only does God call, but number two, God equips. God equips. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that we read a moment ago in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. I want him to bring it up on the screen. In this passage are three principles that will position us to walk in the calling, in the purpose that God has for us. Philippians 4, 9 says this. Whatever you have learned and received, underline that, or heard from me or seen in me, underline that, put it into practice, underline that. Three things right there, learned and received, heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and what is the equation? What's the result? The God of peace will be with you. The word peace there is a word that is implied prosperity. A set of favorable circumstances involving peace and tranquility. So when you move forward, when you go forth, how many would like to go forth knowing that you have the prosperity and peace and grace of God upon your life? So for us to go to the next level or to move to the new place, to to grow in our relationship with God, we need him to go with us in peace, in prosperity. Well, how does that happen? It happens through three things. Write these down. It happens through education. It happens through example, and it happens through experience. Higher Vision School of Ministry is based on these three ideas, education, example, and experience. Paul says, I'm I'm here to give you an example. Remember, I was the worst of sinners. Remember, I was in the middle of the pool going nowhere. God called me, and he's equipped me to accomplish much for his kingdom, so here's the formula. Education, example, experience. Some of you are thinking, well, this is a good message for people that want to go into ministry, but I'm not called into ministry. Can I tell you, everyone's called into ministry? Every one of us are called to bring the light of Christ into the dark place that we are, whether it's on the job or in our family. God has called us. And for you to walk in his prosperity, in his grace, in his favor, three things are necessary to move to the next level. The first is is education. It says in Philippians 4.9, let's bring that verse up again. It says, you guys will bring that up. Whatever you have learned and received. See, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, listen. The key to the peace of God is that we need education. We need to learn. We need to grow. A lot of times we think that maybe, maybe your thoughts, I used to when I was younger, I thought, well, you know, when God calls someone, you just step out and go for it. 
That's what Paul kind of did in the beginning. Remember, he, he heard from God. God said, I've called you. And the very first thing he does, he's, first of all, he's prayed for, and, and the scales fall off his eyes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. He goes into the synagogue of Damascus and starts preaching his testimony of Jesus. That's awesome. I'm very thankful for awesome testimony. But how many know that if Paul needed to preach on day two, the only thing he had to tell was a, his testimony? And there's a lot of people that are wanting to walk in the grace and favor and they want to go forth into new levels, but the problem is all they have is a testimony. If every week I shared my testimony, this place would empty out quickly because you want to know more than just the testimony. And what God wants to do is deposit more inside of you than just the testimony. What's cool about the Word of God is the more of the Word that you get inside of you, the greater your testimony becomes, and the more rich and diverse and complex it becomes because you see the power and the grace of God. Did you know that even Paul, who was probably the most trained man, one of the most educated men in Judaism, he studied under Gamaliel, he went through an incredible, incredibly rigorous process of learning the law, the Bible at that time. He was more trained than anyone, and yet what happened? I'll show you what happened. Go with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. We just read a moment ago how that he was called and chosen, right? When this happened, Paul says, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. In other words, he said, I didn't try to start my ministry. I didn't get business cards. Evangelist. I didn't start a website. He said, no. What did he say? Nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with the apostles who were before me. Instead, I went away into Arabia. And later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. What this passage tells us is that Paul, what did he do? He went for three years. He received an education. He was educated. His education was different than many. Most of the apostles were actually educated by Jesus. They had three and a half years of seminary. Jesus Seminary. Paul had three years of Jesus Seminary. It was through the work of the Holy Spirit as he went into Arabia and studied the Scriptures. God revealed the truth. He revealed the, the, the gospel. In fact, the gospel he preached was exactly the same as the apostles who were with Jesus in the physical realm. The point is, is if Saul, the chiefest of sinners, Saul, the one with the greatest education, needed to be filled with truth, how much more you and I, if we're going to step into the new season, need to receive the education of the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we encourage you to sign up for Cleansing Stream? Why do we encourage you to get in that small group? Why do we encourage you to join the men's ministry or the women's ministry? Why do we encourage you to go to Spiritual Growth Night or the Apologetics class or the Hebrew Roots class? Why do we encourage you to go to Young Adult Ministry or the Spanish service? Why? Because we're helping you to Put yourself in a position to have a great deposit of the Word of God so that He can go with you and you can walk in His peace. Somebody say amen. God equips. He equips through education. Here's a second one. He equips through example. 
Let's go back to the verse again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 9 says, whatever you have learned and received, education, number two, or heard from me or seen in me. That's example. I think this is one of the areas that people fall short. As people say, well, I'll study the Bible and I'll go to church, but I don't need anybody to tell me what to do because I'm a man. You know what's funny is that sounds silly what I just did, but you know what? That is the attitude of a lot of people. I'm an American. I'm living the American dream. I'm independent. No, we're interdependent. That's what the scripture says. Maybe the American dream is to be independent, but in the body of Christ, we're interdependent on one another. And I'm going to tell you today, and this may go against your human nature, but you will never walk with the peace and grace of God until you are in a position where you have someone to be an example or a mentor in your life. Now, the truth of the matter of the fact is, I can't be your mentor. There are 3,000 people in our church. I can't mentor 3,000 people. The mentoring I'm able to do is through this setting in in the corporate word. But there are people in this church that God has called to mentor, small group leaders, ministry leaders, people that have the ability to be involved in your life on a regular basis that can encourage you, that can challenge you. Do you realize that's what Paul did? Paul didn't just jump into ministry. He had a mentor. You know what his name was? Barnabas. You know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. He needed someone to encourage him, to help him grow and be what God had called him to be. And I will tell you, you will never reach the level of blessing, of favor in your life until you've had education and until you've had someone. What does it say? The Bible say there are many teachers, thousands of teachers, but few fathers. I believe that Higher Vision is got a, has the spirit of mentorship, has the spirit of fathership and mon- mothership. I know that's not really a very good word to use, but we're not talking about the mothership. We're talking about mothership. Don't go and tell the pastor believes that in aliens, all right? I'm not talking about that. But there is a spirit of mentorship in this place. And if you'll cozy into that, if you'll plug into that, you will. What does the Bible say? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God wants to sharpen your edge. He wants his favor and his peace to be with you. But it will never happen on the level that God has for you as long is you're not willing to receive the impartation of education and the relationships of mentorship in your life. Here's the last one. We're going to bring this to a close. Experience. The three parts of the equation are education, example, and experience. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 one more time. Education, learned and received, heard from me and seen in me, example, mentorship, and put into practice experience. Higher Vision School of Ministry is based on this concept. The students come and they're involved here. They don't just take classes, they do ministry. Isn't it cool to hear how that Hannah was talking about her small group and how that God began to show her the love of God by loving others? 
Sometimes the greatest way that we can learn is not just by reading a book and, and doing a Bible study. Sometimes the way that God does it is the, the Bible study and that we've read becomes alive when we start acting it out and doing it and serving that's why we challenge you. Listen, we're not up here trying to be mean. We're not trying to be manipulative and say, hey, plug in, serve somewhere. Because we just want to make people run around and be busy and, and do things. No, it's because God's word will become alive inside of you when you put it into practice. So plugging in, finding a place to use your gift. Starting somewhere, experience. so thankful for the spirit of growth and change that's here at Higher Vision, the students that are growing. I want the worship team to come. We're going to have a student share a spoken word with you in just a second. But before they do that, I want to reference a story and we're going to bring this to conclusion. There was a man by the name of Elisha. Elisha was a prophet that was raised up who did mighty miracles in the nation of Israel. Let me tell you where Elisha was. He was in the middle of a pool, swimming around like that lizard. Oh, he wasn't treading water to stay alive. His wandering was, he was just caught up in the busyness of making money and family and wealth and possessions. He was a wealthy man. He had a huge field. He had lots of workers and employees. And he was plowing the field for more. He had a family that worked with him. And sometimes our wanderings aren't necessarily sin. Sometimes our wanderings are just that we're so focused on ourselves and our own pursuits that God steps into our life to call us, to hail us, so that he can redirect us. And that's what God did to Elisha. Along comes Elijah, his mentor. He's a beautiful picture of this, the education. He studied underneath Elijah for several years. He saw him as a mentor and a spiritual father in his life. He practiced it. He did the work of the ministry. The Bible says that he poured the hands or poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was doing ministry. Along comes Elijah. God had spoke and said, I've called him. I've set him apart. He walks by and he lays his mantle over Elisha as Elisha's plowing in the field. And Elisha has a decision to make. Where a lot of times our decisions are is we say, wow, I kind of feeling that maybe God has something more for me. You know what? Next year, when they offer those classes at High Vision Church, I'm going to take me one of them. I don't know if anybody talks like that here. I mean... One day, one day, I'm going to take me one of those classes. How many times does one day keep people in the middle of the pool, missing out on the promises and things God has for them? So Elisha, instead of saying one day, he says two days. And what does he do? He does something crazy, kind of like Olivia, that intern you heard about. God's just done a miracle in her family from drug abuse and all these things. Dysfunction has healed them. and They've started going to church together. And then suddenly God lays a little mantle on her and says, I've called you to leave everything and go forth. 
Leave your father. Leave your mother. Come and take it to the next level. And her family, as you heard, says, don't go. Don't go, Olivia. What did Jesus say? He said, if you aren't willing to sacrifice father and mother for me, you're not worthy of. In fact, did you know the Bible says, and I speak this over Olivia right now, claim the word of God. The Bible says that if you forsake lands, father or mother, that the blessing and reward of God will be multiplied upon you. The multiplied reward is coming over Olivia. Somebody say amen. So Elisha, like Olivia, said, okay, God, I surrender. So he did what I think all of us need to do. He grabbed that plow. He took an axe, and he chopped it into pieces. And he built a fire. He lit the match and started burning. Right there in the middle of the field. And then he went to the two cows that were pulling the plow, and he he killed them. And he cut them up, kind of like when you do that to prepare an animal for food. So he did that. He, he did that. He took the meat, and then he put it on the fire, and he started cooking the meat. Suddenly, the whole family started smelling barbecue. Like, what's, what's, who's cooking? What's... Well, it's Elijah. They come out, and what does he do? He offers them a meal. Once the meal's done, once the wood's burned, once the animals are gone, Elisha loves them and says goodbye and goes forth. What was Elisha doing? Elisha was destroying the excuses that stopped him from stepping in to God's call for his life. What do you need to chop up? What do you need to destroy that has been an excuse for you the last five years or the last ten years or the last five months or the last ten decades that have stopped you from stepping in to going forth into what God has called you to? Today, God is saying, destroy the excuses.